time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. It's a beautiful fall afternoon here in lovely Southern California. It is. How are you, JT? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I've had a stressful morning trying to get this podcast up on the air, which is completely my fault. But we are, we are, uh, we are working, and it's good to see you guys. Okay. JT is sort of the, the master computer audiophile technician, and so whenever he's looking a little concerned... Yeah. Well, the problem with being that guy is that I don't have a guy. Right. Like you guys have a guy. Right. I don't right. have a guy. <laughs> so so what happens is that I'm looking and I'm thinking, and my initial reaction always is like, how can I help? But then I hold my tongue as I realize, what am I joking? It's, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like, I guess when, you know, it's like if one of these guys were in the operating room and I'm struggling, you know, I'm sure they'd feel the same way. Like, how can I help? Then it'd be like, uh, yeah, no. I don't know. <laughs> I think GB and I could probably handle a Jump simple in, vasectomy at this point. retraction or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 speaking of operating rooms and help. So I, I got word today that uh, oh yeah you had actually helped somebody. Based well, we upon, all did. We all did. Based well, upon while, a discussion that we've previously had on this well, podcast. While, while I'm sitting here trying to get this to, to work, uh, the doc is showing pictures to GB on his phone of a of a current case. Of somebody a, in a another situation. This is, a, this is a, a PA who used to work for me. A PA is a physician assistant, but she used to be what's called a scribe, which means that she wrote my office notes, but then, you know, like most of my scribes, she continued on in her career. Most of the scribes are, are, you know, recent grads from undergraduate college. And she went on to become a physician assistant in an emergency room elsewhere here in Southern California. And periodically she sends me a text message about something going on and, you know, likes to relate it to me. But this time it was like an urgent message. She wanted my input on something. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read you the message. It says, um, hi, Dr. Hyman. We have a guy here in our ER with the same case you dealt with a couple of months back. He had a penis ring stuck around the scrotum. We have tried everything we can think of, have consulted numerous doctors, including urology, and no one seems to know the trick. How did you guys end up getting it off? What instrument? It's pretty bad. I'll send you a pic. These are, these are texts I never get, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> or pictures. But if, if any of our listeners, and I'm sure all of them, remember episode 56, which was entitled... Uh, the Things People Do. The Things People Do, right. Which was titled that because when I did have that case and took the patient to the OR, um, and I actually at the moment, and part of this is my wife, because I, I don't really pick up on all these expressions, but I happened to, as they were wheeling the patient in, my wife called me on my phone and I was standing in front of the front desk of the operating room and I'm telling, um, I'm, I'm uh, talking to my wife and I said, yeah, I have this case with somebody has a ring, I've got to remove it. And then as I'm saying it, the woman at the front desk who runs the operating room yells out, the things people do. <laughs> and that was the title of the episode. But anyways, the, so, we, so I, I proceeded to text her and tell her how I, how I removed it and that we had to use what's called a... Um, a, ro- a vibrating saw, a type of saw that they use to remove a, uh, a cast. And, um, uh, and so then, if I remember right, it didn't, that didn't release correct. it. You then had to do more. Another cut, right, yeah. because his 
ring was so thick. It was literally like, you know, a quarter to a half inch thick. And so it was such a, and it was solid steel so that when we made the first cut, you could not bend and pull it apart. It was not pliable, malleable, at all, or not pliable, I think is the word, at all. You right. couldn't bend the steel. But, so therefore, we had to make a second cut so you could have two halves of the ring and pull them apart. But, but it's not, it you call crazy. it a penis ring, but that's not really where it's wrong. It's around the penis and the scrotum. It's a... It goes around the penis and the purpose. scrotum. Yeah, with this ring, in this IV. particular, <laughs> in this particular case, not all penis rings. I think some people use them just at the base of their penis to try to, like, maintain their erections longer. But they're not. I, I don't. I think it's. I, I don't honest, honestly. I, I I don't know. I've never really interviewed someone and said, you know, what does this do for you? The I suppose moral, I should. The moral <laughs> of the story Have you is. Seen somebody it, though who's come in without a problem and they were just wearing one. No. Or, or they only wear it during sexual. I encounters. think they only. That's a really good question too. I I think they only wear it during sexual CJ, encounters. As usual, that's a good question. as usual, uh, GB yeah. GB goes deep. People, the doc G- and I GB rarely disagree, but I'm not so sure that is a good question. <laughs> 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 the moral of the story is, if she had listened to episode 56, she would have had her answer. That's yeah, true. But, but what's funny, ultimately, was how they got it off of this patient. They use the same kind of saw. I thought you said they called the they fire department. They did call the fire department. They <laughs> called the fire department. The and, and ER, she said, we ultimately called the fire department. And yeah. Can you imagine like a giant hook and ladder showing up? And <laughs> these guys run out and That's full, like that scene in Something About Mary, remember? Gear, right. When he gets the zipper caught. It like exactly. before you know it, like, you know, everybody's showing up. It's exactly like that. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That is oh, a, Ben Stiller. He's hysterical. Yep, he was funny. That was a good movie. That's a good scene. So so you you got a case. I got a case. I got an interesting case. It's going to bring up a bunch of issues. I don't even know if it's it's so complex that it may bleed into two episodes. We'll see. It's a two-parter. It could be. I don't know. Let's see how it starts. So I get, as everybody knows, I I take, you know, emergency call um, to a number of hospitals. And one of the hospital calls and said, you know, we have a patient here who um, in in her mid-50s, she's in what we call an end... ESRD, which means end-stage uh, renal, uh, sorry, ESRF, end-stage renal failure on HD, which stands for hemodialysis. All that means, end-stage renal failure on hemodialysis means this person has non-functional kidneys. They do not work at all, so they have to be kept alive by being hooked up to a machine three times a week to do the job of the kidneys, and that's called dialysis. But she's in the hospital because she has an infection. And, I'm and, sorry, kidneys that have no function whatsoever. Whatsoever. You still can get through with only three days of dialysis? It's not a correct constant thing. Wait, wait, correct. So w- three times a week, correct. So Which is still, I, I know. But let me tell you, it's a, it's a rough eat? life it because is, you, I know. You, you are hooked up to the dialysis a good solid a six por- hours, yeah. and then the rest of the day, it, it wears you out. Yeah. So if you do it... It's not like you get unhooked and you can go off so, and do whatever so you want. You, you're kind of worn out. What does yeah. the dialysis do? It cleans? Yeah, it takes out. Like, you're building up all of this stuff in your blood, like too much potassium and too much okay, so, urea, so, so it's nitrogen. A, so it's a and blood it takes filter, all, basically. Yes. But yes. it doesn't impact urination. Well, it does also take fluid off. Some people have East end-stage renal failure, and they still make urine. They just can't clean but so, they can get rid of their fluid. But she can, so in her case, she doesn't make urine, so she has to get rid of fluid and have her blood clean three times a week. So yes. she's not peeing the other days of the week. Correct. 
Wow. And is this a genetic thing or, or is this an environmental thing? Or, or uh, all over happens? the map. It could be, be a million different possibilities. But I'll get into what I think happened to her in a second. Yeah. So they tell me she's infected. And, um, and I said, okay. And they, and, and they said, we, we, and initially, we didn't know the source of her infection. Wait, wait Joel, hold on one second. Wait, we got it. <laughs> this can't be a four episode. This could be a four episode. <laughs> this is wow. You know, just the things we you're take for granted. You're already blown away. And in, in, with our own personal health, this just is like, taking a wow. Leak. Yeah, just taking a leak. And, 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 and you said early 50s? Yeah, fifty-three, I think. So, and the average lifespan's into the eighties. This is this yeah. is. Oh yeah. So this is well, the this way is she's got to live her life. I think. Well, she's on the transplant list. I think she's trying to get a transplant, a, a kidney transplant. Listen, uh, Sarah Highland, who was the oldest daughter on Modern Family, has already had a kidney transplant that was then rejected, and now she has another one. It's it who can, is this? Oh, she, she uh, was the, she was like seventeen when she had her first transplant. She, Who she, are you talking she about? Was, she was modern the, the eldest daughter on a character actress. on Modern Family, an oh. actress. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. and you would see because her oh. her, her eyes w- would bulge. It, I only bring it up because it's unfortunate it can strike people at any age. So yeah. Anyway, Terrible. anyway, so um, so they they couldn't find the source of infection. You know, when somebody comes in with a fever of unknown origin, you 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 do like a chest X-ray, see if they got pneumonia. You do, uh, you know, blood cultures. You would do urine cultures. But guess what? You couldn't do a urine culture on her. Because um, it wasn't coming out. Right. So they end up getting a CAT scan to see if they wait, can Wait, find I, I have a question. When that happens, though, is there urine in the bladder? Or nope. it just, it nope. just, it's backed nope. up because nope. it's not passing right. through the kidneys. Correct. Got it. So they get a um, CAT scan. And lo and behold, first of all, she has a congenitally anomalous kidney. And I'll tell you what that means. Her kidney, picture in your mind the two kidneys in the body, like those two beans sitting to the right and the left of the spinal column below the chest. And imagine that the lower poles of the, the lower parts of those kidneys come together in a connection. They're connected. So now it looks like an upside down U. Right. We call that a horseshoe kidney. So she had a horseshoe kidney. Now all, horseshoe all, kidneys. All her life. Yeah, she was born with it. Now horseshoe kidneys aren't super rare, but they're rare. So the ureters come out like they normally would, but sometimes number one, the ureters pathway gets a little bit screwy because now it has to drape over that isthmus. That's what we call it, the connecting portion. And sometimes they're more prone to kidney stones. Sometimes they're prone to other complications. And sometimes the ureters get like they get stenotic, which means they don't they don't they get narrowed and the urine doesn't evacuate very well from the kidney. So what becomes evident, number one, on the CAT scan, the kidney is all filled with fluid. Like I don't know what kind of fluid, but it's filled. You you can see that is where, it enlarged? It's very enlarged. It's filled with fluid. And there are, what on the CAT scan, there are what we call air fluid levels. What are air fluid levels? Air fluid levels mean that there's air in the system. Wait, and quick, quick question. What's the timing of her coming to the hospital and getting the CAT scan? It was and, done in the ER. So it was done in the ER. So it was an immediate thing. It didn't, it wasn't like. Or no, I think actually it was done after she was admitted. I'm sorry. No, because they, they were still trying to. That she had the fever. They started her on, on, on broad-spectrum anti- IV antibiotics. They put her on the floor. 
They got a chest X-ray. They were waiting for blood cultures. And then they went to and had and got a CAT scan. And every hospital has has a CAT scan machine. Yes, hundred percent. That, that's just that's standard. Standard. Anyway, so air fluid levels mean that when you see air in a system that's not supposed to have air, like the bowel can have air because we swallow air and there's bacteria normally in our bowel and the bacteria are producing gas and that gets in the bowel and we pass that gas like GB excessively sometimes. But in any event. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> in any event, um, no, rare, so, so there are air fluid levels dock. in this kidney. There's not supposed to be air in the kidney. So how did air get in there? Um, it got in there because there's bacteria in there, and they're producing this and gas. And so it. clearly this is a very infected kidney, distended with with fluid and air, and there's obvi- it's, all, it's infected. It's infected. So, um, so what do you do now? Um, the tricky thing is, the other tricky thing they saw on the CAT scan is that her kidney appears to be connected to her bladder, not by the ureters, but by a big piece of intestine, a piece of bowel. And what we then realize as we st- as I start talking to her is that when she was a kid, she had all kinds of problems with these ureters. I told you you can have problems with the ureters. And so she had number a number of surgeries to try to fix it until she had a, probably, she said she probably had like seven or eight operations. And if you look at her abdomen, she's got like dozens of, like not dozens, but many surgical scars all over her abdomen. And the final operation was from a famous pediatric. She she went through this as. As a teenager. As a teen. And she got, and there was a famous pediatric urologist at UCLA, Dr. Ehrlich, who operated on her, this is probably about 40 years, 30 years ago, and did this thing called an ileal interposition. She would have been 20, 30 years ago. All right, so uh, 35 years ago or 32 years ago. And he did what's called an ileal interposition, which means he took a segment of intestine and connected her kidney to her bladder. We call that an ileal interposition. Um, and, And that's what drained her kidney for as many years as she, I don't know, I didn't get the rest of the story, but... You know, her but, kidney but, but was you, already... You, you've heard of this procedure. Oh, yeah. I've, I've done it. Uh, not a lot, but I've done it once or twice. Not a lot. And, um, and this is like buying a house and looking under. And yeah, then the, the, a plumber out, right. 15, 20 years ago right. screwed things up. Right. Now, I take well, that he, back. Well, in this case, he didn't he, screw he it didn't up. He didn't screw it up. It was what, what they did. had to do at the right. time. This is what they did. And um, No, but the doc's saying that, that he's done this. It's e- e- Even yeah. today, he may have... Right, it's, it's a modern this. thing that we do even yeah. today. But when you're treating her, I'm guessing it, that didn't occur to you right away because you didn't realize but, that she right. had those surgeries. But that right. should have been a disclosure on her intake sheet about it's, the prior surgery. You know, she doesn't it know, gets, though. It gets tricky. They don't even understand it at yeah. the time. They, you know, they were a teenager. They just know they had a bunch of operations right. that allowed them to have kidney function for the next 20 years. Then their kidney finally gave out, and this is where they are. But they couldn't tell you the details of the operation. No way. Right. And what was done and all that stuff. Did, so, but, but by, by the way, somebody like this, do you, did she drink alcohol? No, I don't think so. I don't think she was an And would that have drink. impacted? That's more of a liver thing, right? Yeah, yeah more that, of a liver. That, that, yeah, that would question. be a liver so issue. No. Okay. No. So, because even um, though the alcohol gets into the blood, it's, it doesn't, nothing with the kidney, just the liver. Pretty much. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, it looks like somehow, I don't know, like that ileal interposition isn't working. It's, it's a little, the CAT scan's really tough to interpret because when you see these big distended areas that I was telling you about in the kidney, in what's left of her kidney, 
and these what I call air fluid levels, it's a little hard to distinguish like what's bowel, what's kidney. It all kind of looks but the are same. Are you the one interpreting the CAT scan? Or no, so they read it out. There's a radiologist. They read it who out, does but this. then they read it out, but then you kind of look at it as well. And but they it's read a radiologist it who officially it. Yeah. read it out. Yeah. yeah okay. Anyways, long story short, like you know, what are you going to do with all this fluid in there? How are you going to get that fluid out? It's obviously not coming down that conduit anymore, that ileal interposition. I don't know why it's not coming down. I really don't. But um, it's not, and, um, and we got to get it out. So how are we going to get it out? The way we're going to get out, do you, me- do you remember? We've had cases like this where, like, something's trapped in the kidney. You can't get it out from below. So how can you get it out? Do you remember? Without, like, doing a formal open operation, how can you get all that fluid out of the kidney? Do you inject with a needle and then suck it out? Kind of. So what you do is you put in something called a nephrostomy tube. And a nephrostomy tube is basically kind of like what you're saying. You put somebody on, a, on an exam table. You use usually, like, an ultrasound to find where the kidney is. Then you take a fine needle and, and put it in there where you see the fluid, you draw it out to confirm, like, okay, yeah, this is urine or this is the infected material. And once you've confirmed that, you slide a fine wire through the hollow bore of the needle, take the needle out, you can dilate that tract, and then slide a tube over the needle and take the, I mean, slide a tube over the wire, take the wire out, now you have a tube in the kidney draining it through your back, through the side of your back. So that's what was done. She had a nephrostomy tube put in. They got out, like, a half a liter of infected fluid. Wow. Okay. Do you also inject antibiotics at the same time? No, because at this point, once the infected fluid is out and draining out, that's that's it really cleans it out. It cleans that part out, but you're not gonna the 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 surrounding tissue and the stuff that's getting perfused with blood, you're not getting rid of right. the, that infected material. Right. Plus, the rest of her body has infection, so no. So she, she just has to take some oral IV, antibiotics. IV, or IV, IV antibiotics. antibiotics. So okay. she continues to get IV antibiotics, and she gets better. She feels great now. A few days later, I get a call. She's passing blood through her urethra, meaning, like, she's feeling something coming out from below, and she doesn't even make urine, and she looks right. down, and there's blood coming out. Something got punctured? We don't process? know. We don't know. Um, actually, the real qu- first question is if she's lying there on the table, on the, on the table, on the bed, and she looks down and she sees blood, what can, where, can, where, do you, where can you say about the source of the blood? It could come from one of two places. The urethra. Or, or it could come from the ovaries. The vagina. Yeah. It could be vaginal bleeding or, or urethral bleeding because you don't know. Um, you know, she could tell you that I, I really feel like it's coming out of my urethra. But she may not be able to know. Right. A lot of times that happens. Women yeah. will come in and they say, I'm, I have vaginal bleeding, and it turns out it's coming from their urethra. And sometimes they'll say, I'm peeing blood, but it's actually coming from their vagina, and it's mm. like a vaginal bleed from their uterus or who knows what. So it gets confusing. What can you think of? But that? either way, it's scary it's to the scary patient. scary to the patient. Yeah. And what do you think you could do if somebody walked in and told you this? How could you confirm one or the other as the doctor? There's a couple of things you can well, do. Well, I think you need to give an exam. One is to give an exam. So let's say you look in there, and you're right. Let's say you look in there, and you see blood in, in the kind of vaginal area. Does, does that tell you for sure that it's, that it's a vaginal bleed? No. Not necessarily. It, you know. Right, because it could be coming from the urethra and going into the vagina, yeah. well, right? Well, if you right. did a blood test and you saw 
you saw something that you would normally only see in a urine a urinalysis. A blood test? Well, I, I'm sorry. The, uh, if you do a test of the, of the discharge. Of the blood that's there? Yeah, yeah. It's a good thought, but no. <laughs> it's a good idea, but no. Couldn't you just use, um, you, if you see that, couldn't you also use sort of a scope through the catheter uh, to go into the urethra to see what's going on? So the answer is sure, that's certainly a possibility. But before you get to that point, there's something simpler you could do just at the bedside to help you determine if that blood is really coming from the bladder or from the vagina. If you just pushed on the bladder. Well, I'm also pushing on the vagina. The like I'm pushing on everything. Yeah. So close to what you're saying you could slide a catheter, just a regular catheter, into the urethra and into the bladder, and if blood comes out, you know your answer. That it's in the bladder. It's blood. From the, it's coming from the, from the bladder. Right. Right? Because if the bladder, now I'm not talking about this particular patient, but if a, wo- a woman walks into the ER and it's unclear where the blood's coming from, and you slide it, and, and there's blood literally on the, on the, ta- on the bed, yeah. and you slide a catheter into her bladder and clear yellow urine comes out, you know for a fact that it's not coming from her bladder, it's coming right. from her vagina, right? Right. Whereas if you slide that catheter right. in and bright red blood comes right. out, you know it's coming from the bladder and not the vagina. Make sense? Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, there's another thing you can do, I'll just finish up by saying, you can kind of clean the vagina out so it's all clean, there's no blood, and put a speculum, like the gynecologist uses, into the vagina and look up at the cervix, cervix and if you see a little blood coming out of the cervix, then you know it's coming yeah, yeah, from the, yeah. the, the, the uterus and that stuff. Anyway, so this lady, it's definitely coming from the urethra, from the bladder. And so I've talked about this before, but when they have a lot of blood in their bladder, they can form clots. So she starts complaining about the pressure and the clots. Oh, so do you remember what we do about clots? Well, you had to go in and you had to clear them out. Um, Yes, there's something you can try to do, like, at the bedside before you clear them out. Ask nicely. (laughs) Well, same thing we just started by saying. You could put in a a larger catheter. Women tolerate that better than men. You can put a larger diameter catheter in and just try to irrigate out the clots at the bedside. And then you can put in something called a three-way catheter. Have we ever talked about that? No. Three-way ca- so catheters normally there's normally we use either a straight catheter which is just a tube that drains or we use a balloon catheter. We ever talked about that? A balloon catheter is a is basically a catheter that's got a little port on the side of the end of the catheter. You put the catheter in, and then you got the side that's sticking out, and then there's a little fork, a little little almost like a nipple thing that sticks off the side of the end of the catheter, and you, you, you mm. put a syringe, you, you screw a syringe of, of water, like oh, 10 cc's, to the dentist. and you, you squeeze that syringe, and Cleans you push out. the water in, and at the end of the catheter that's inside the bladder, there's a balloon, and it inflates. Mm-hmm. And that way, the catheter won't fall out. That's how catheters remain indwelling. They stay in. I always wondered that. Yeah, that's how they stay in is we there's a balloon. about that. There's a balloon. So then there's some, that's a two-way catheter. Then there's something called a three-way catheter. So there's another port. There's the one, there's the port that you screw the syringe on to inflate the balloon. And then there's another, a third port. So it's a three-way catheter. A third, another port where you can, you can attach an irrigation system that washes, that puts fluid through the catheter, washes the bladder, and then it drains out through the larger opening 
that comes to the bag. Are any of these catheters illuminated? No. Would that be helpful? No. 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 Although it once came up, and I'll, 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 that's another story. So um, for, for a ureter, for something to illuminate in the ureter, that once came up in the a, cath- a ureteral catheter that illuminates yeah. for a reason so you can see it better when you're operating. Doc's got lots of good catheter stories. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> so you, you can irrigate this at the bedside and wash out the clots and then put in a three-way catheter, put the irrigation system on, which continuously washes the bladder so no new clots will form and they can be more comfortable until you can stop the bleeding. I tried to do that, and I was unsuccessful. I could not irrigate out the clots. The clots were too big, too big, no matter what size catheter I used. So the next decision is, you said it before. I did. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first thought you had about how to get the clots out? Uh, and I said, no, you can do something at the bedside with a catheter. Push on the bladder. No, you no. said you could, you could, I said you could go in. Put, go in. Yeah. Put a, and, and right, so almost, you take almost your, like the way you do with a kidney stone in a way. Right, put a scope in there and yeah. just kind of yeah. Play so that's what I did. So I took her to the operating room. I put a you know larger scope that's like a metal you know basically looks like a. Do I sense a double billing here? No. Put the scope in and then I started to irrigate out the clots. But so even this with is all, the this scope, is all one procedure, even though you had to take no. her into the operating room. Well, uh, the bedside thing with the catheter and the that's, clot irrigation that's was one in, in, the, in the room. In the room, right in the room, and then na- right. now you've got to go and to another room. Then it was actually the next day. Oh, okay. Oh, so it is a double billing opportunity. I I, I don't call it a double billing. I just basically, but yeah, I mean, why I the, is, is, is is each day you visit but, but, a patient? But why the next each day? day why, why didn't you do it immediately? Because she wasn't acute. At that point, what I what I did at the bedside was enough to make her comfortable, and she wasn't in acute distress, and it was late, and she had eaten. So mm. you have to weigh the oh, risks and benefits. It's like it. we got could it. take her to the operating room, but there's a high risk she'll aspirate and get pneumonia because she just ate. So it's better to just if we can keep her stable, let her not eat for you know the night, and then you know keep her uh, in right, a, right, yeah, right. and then take her in the next morning. So you had drained the fluid. You're dealing with the infection. Right. She stabilizes, right. and the next day you're dealing next with the Next day I take her to the operating room. And is there an anesthesia involved in this or, or a twilight sleep? Room? Yeah, yeah. General anesthesia. Yeah, so that's... Of and, and so And that leads... That's Full why, anesthesia. And that's why she couldn't eat the next day. Yeah. Okay, right, I understand right. that. So I clean out the clots, which take me a while. It's hard to get these clots. It's unusually difficult. Normally when you do a clot evacuation in the operating room, it's pretty straightforward. You put a special type of uh, uh, sheath. We call it a sheath through the urethra into the bladder, and you can just pull all the clots. You can suck out all the clots. It's not that hard. Having a hard time with her. The and you still don't are, know the source of the no. bleeding. And the clots are large, and they're very organized, and it's, it's hard to get these clots out. And I, I, I spent a lot of time cleaning them out. And, t- and, and the thing is, is that you, when you look in the bladder, you can't see anything. It's all red on the TV, on the monitor, because everything's on video. And I can't see much, and I keep trying to clean out these clots. I finally get it clear. So I can really see the inside of the bladder. The inside of the bladder, I'm starting to look. I see the, where the ureters are and the bladder. And I knew she had that ileal interposition. So, I'm, so sure enough, when I tilt the scope up towards what's called the dome of the bladder, the top of the bladder, there's a giant opening. And there's blood coming through it. So obviously, this is where the source is. And when I get my scope, and, the, and I'm, you know, when you push the scope up to the top of the bladder, 
you don't have a whole lot of like scope left, but mm. I had enough room to get into the opening and I could look inside that conduit and it's filled with clot. That mm. conduit is filled with clot and it's sort of tortuous, which means that it's not a straight shot up that opening and What's straight that up. What's that word? Tortuous? tortuous means tortuous, not torture, but tortuous means it's curvy. It's curvy. Yeah. So the conduit's tortuous. And so when I look inside it, it immediately turns and it like almost like a sink or something. Mm -hmm. It goes down before it goes back up. You know, it's like kinked almost. I think that's part of the issue is that the, the, that thing is kinked. And so the clot, it, the blood is stuck. getting stuck inside right. it. It's like rotor rooter. The blood, the blood is getting stuck inside it into, and then it comes down finally into the bladder and clumps mm. in big clump clots. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to irrigate the bladder. Why I had a hard time with it. So um, that was the most I could do in that situation. I yeah. mean, I couldn't do anything more. I wasn't about to try to open her up and operate on her. So um, I put in one of those three-way catheters, turned on the irrigation, and I knew eventually it would get, it would stop working because of this issue. But that was what I did. At this point, we now decided we'll get another CAT scan just to see if there's any more information that can be gleaned. So we get another CAT scan. That, that, that's a good call. And the CAT scan, thank you. <laughs> so we get another CAT scan, and this time we decide we're going to give her a CAT scan with intravenous contrast. So CAT scans can be just done regular. You just go through the machine, but you won't see blood vessels, and you won't see so detailed anatomy. So hold on, I have a question. Let's say it was 1972. Yeah. We didn't have this technology. Right. This is why, so you're able to gather more information yes. to figure out the next move. Yes. In 1972, they may have just At opened. that point, they probably would have opened. Yes. Yeah. Leeches. Okay. Just stuck leeches on there, and that's it. That's all but, they could but do. But I will say <laughs> this. No, that was uh, 71. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this. Um, this is what we sometimes will call a hostile abdomen. Hmm. Meaning. You had a hostile something else yeah. recently. Meaning that, what that, was. that this abdomen, there's a relative, <laughs> this abdomen has had a lot of surgeries a long time ago. It is going to be a nightmare of an operation. I mean, nightmare in the sense that you're going to make the skin incision and then you're immediately going to be confronting just a, a massive amount of scarring that is embedded around intestine okay. so here's and my other question. structures. You're the doctor on call right, right so right. but but who does she have a regular doctor who would do this no, or, no. or does this automatically go to you right now i'm uh, the buck stops with me at this moment but what you start having to ask yourself is and, and i don't know if this is what you're getting at is it like well wait a second i mean this is not yeah this feels like a surgeon yeah, this is come not in. a straightforward situation right. this probably is going to require a team of surgeons because it's going to be, you're going to need like what's called a vascular surgeon because some of the scar is going to embed all of the vasculature. Some of it's going to embed intestine. As soon as you start dissecting, you're going to get into the inside the bowel and start spilling bowel contents. You're going to get into giant blood vessels that are going to be stiff and difficult to stop the bleeding. It's going to be a real... Well, and I, and I so would th think that there's, that there's techniques now because really ultimately you're going to get into a reconstruction situation where... Maybe are you able to, would, would that team th think about how this person could live her life in an even better way that this won't happen again? And So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that in a second. 
So, but this is even an issue of whether or not the hospital that is, is, is equipped to is handle equipped this. To handle and this. I'll get to that, too. Oh, that's true. So the next step was to get that, can, that CAT scan with the intravenous contrast, which, by the way, in a, in a dialysis patient, it's a little tricky. You have to, the contrast is toxic. It's fine for you and I to get it because we immediately excrete it into when our urine. When you said you, was that Jay or me? Both of you. Both <laughs> oh. of you, as far as well, I know, are you, not dialysis. Because oh, okay, I thought one of us. No, I meant you, plural. You, oh, plural. Okay. And so you normally just so pee it right out. Be, wouldn't that be they? Uh, I don't know. I have to think about that. But um, as usual, GB is adding complexity and trying to distract me, ladies and GB, gentlemen. GB, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm losing patience with you. I'm not going to let it happen. <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen. Some of our, some of our, see, and, and ladies and gentlemen, this is where the audience splits. We've got the 50% <laughs> yeah. of you, maybe a little more, These that are like extremely irritated with GB right now. But then there's like a good chunk of you, maybe 30, mm. maybe even 50%, yeah. that are like laughing and loving GB. Well, it's a very know, controversial the, thing. Well, the surveys aren't totally counted yet, so let's, okay. let's hold it's, off on the those percentages. Well, well, should yeah. we digress about the... Uh, the, the billing? Not the billing, but... The, the what, parking? Not the parking, uh, but, <laughs> what, but what, what, I happened, what, what happened to me during my colonoscopy oh, with, yeah, that with too. the nurse. That too, that too. So that too. I... So I very very quickly, I went to get a colonoscopy last month, and uh, the doc knows uh, my doc who gave me the colonoscopy, and the doc regularly does work at the surgery center, and and there was a nurse and and, and I guess a doctor's aide in the in the room, and uh, we were talking about uh, Dr. Hyman, and the topic came up about the podcast podcast, and well they asked and, right if you and were, they asked yeah famous and, 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 are you. And, the, and, and I said, yes. And they said, oh, you're the one with all the dumb questions. <laughs> and then, and then the, the, the doctor, my, my gastro, was trying to deflect because this, this was before, this was while I was still lucid and before the twilight sleep. Was that before or after they asked how, you know, so just how good looking is JT? <laughs> when, when did that come up? <laughs> That's right. Never is, is the so, answer to that. Anyways, we digress. Doc. We digress. So... Um, we get the CAT scan. You have to get dialyzed right afterwards because you got to get rid of that contrast, and the dialysis takes it out. So we get the CAT scan, and it's really not super revealing. It shows first. It well, here's what's revealing. It shows that that horseshoe kidney, as happens with a lot of horseshoe kidneys, has extremely abnormal vasculature. Normally, the right kidney has one artery, the left kidney has one artery. That's it. This kidney had multiple arteries, like four or five different arteries feeding the kidney off the aorta, which, again, just adds to the complexity of the situation. When you're doing the IV contrast CAT scan, you're hoping that you will see where the blood is coming, is, is coming from, and you could potentially take them to what's called an interventional radiologist, and they can feed a catheter through your femoral artery in your groin and actually plug up that bleeding vessel. It's pretty cool. Hmm. No such bleeder could be found. Well, there's nothing common about this. No, this patient this is a completely you know, nothing in the books. About it, nothing in the books. This yeah. is about as crazy as it gets. Active bleeding. She's re she's requiring two to three units of blood per day. Wow! Wow! That's a heavy bleeder. Yeah, a lot of it's a heavy bleeder. So, <clears throat> all we know now is that we have this non-functional, huge horseshoe kidney with massively abnormal vasculature. 
a huge, uh, 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 sorry, an, a, a conduit of bowel going between the kidney and the bladder that's filled with blood. We don't know if the bleeding is coming from the conduit. We don't know if the bleeding is coming from the horseshoe kidney. All we know is that that's where the bleeding is coming from the kidney and or conduit and that, you know, it needs to be stopped. So how are you going to stop that bleeding? This is like uh, the you, Ted Lasso season two cliffhanger. You, you got to open her up at this point. And do what? If you don't know where the bleeding well, is to- coming from, what are you going to do? What's the is the bleeding coming from her from her stomach? You said it was the kidney. It's coming from the kidney. Maybe it's also coming from that intestinal that, that interposition, whole, that, right? That thing that they put in, right? Yeah. So it's coming from the kidney and or that intestinal interposition. So if you're going to stop the bleeding, what are you going to do? You're not going to take out her stomach. You're not going to take out her spleen. What yeah. are you going to take out? Take out the kidney. Take out that kidney. It's nephrotic anyway, right? It's a dead kidney anyway. It's not working. Not dead, but it's non-functional. It's a non-functional kidney. It's never going to work. So you got to take out that kidney, and you got to and you got to take out that conduit. You can't take take out out part. You 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 don't know where you don't know the source of the bleeding. And no, you can't just like go in there and see the source. There's going to be blood everywhere when you get in there. You're not going to be able to tell what the source is. Wait, wait, wait. So this is what you're thinking, or this is what you're doing? No, this is what I'm thinking. You're thinking. I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm, I know that this is what she needs. She needs the horseshoe kidney taken out, and she needs the conduit removed. So when you're saying the kidney, you're talking about essentially both kidneys. Well, it's one kidney. It's, it's well, connected. you're both right. It's, it, it's, it's, consi- it's, it's, it's identified as a right and a left kidney connected by an isthmus, but at the same time, we would just call it a horseshoe kidney. So okay, it, so you're yes, talking about kidney, taking everything this, out. This horseshoe kidney, the entire thing, has to come out. I was wondering Ki- that earlier. You? So with dialysis, works even without any kidney in place. Correct. Wow. Okay. And she'd still be, uh, a, a, she'd still be allowed to have a, uh, a uh, transplant. Transplant. But does this move you up faster to the on the top of the list? No, I don't think so. Are no. they are they growing kidneys in pigs these days? There was an article was about an that. Yeah. Case in the, the in the New York Times just this week that they used a pig kidney in a transplant. The they, problem is well, they don't they, know how long it's going to last. They transplanted to a um, I believe it was a woman who was brain dead. Brain dead, right? Yeah. So very interesting um, decision science going yeah. on to but imagine I it's a could be a miracle in the Correct. future for it could change it could change the entire landscape of transplants kidney kidney disease is potentially one of uh, a really big frontier in the next 20 30 years yeah agreed agreed amazing and when when they do this is this in a lab but like those three days of dialysis that could be potentially cut you could be doing things at home i mean there's but but, but hold on with the pig is it um is it in a lab or is it a live pig they they uh, my understanding is that they genetically Genetically, altered a pig right so that it would um, grow, so that it would be born and grow up with a kidney that was missing a ton of um, foreign anti- antigens, so that if they put it into a human body, yeah. the human body wouldn't reject it. And then, and then, um, th- then they remove that kidney, and then, and then the pig lives happily ever after. I mean, it's a lab pig. I'm yeah. sure they had to sacrifice the pig. Yeah, maybe there was dinner that night. But the, yeah. uh, the they the usually destroy those lab animals. Yeah. Mm. But and and we don't know the rejection rate yet for this this patient Correct. or that's woman. That's what's but, going on now. So that's what they're going to. They're going to watch. 
Anyway, yeah, that is an interesting. Anyways, the, the story pretty much ends here. I mean, the bottom line is, as you alluded earlier, this is not a, an operation that in your right mind you would do at a community hospital. It's really an operation that must be done at a tertiary center, which is like a university, place where they have like UCLA dedicated departments that are, you know, doing things like this where they wow. have teams of doctors in each department with subspecialty expertise to handle something like this. This is not something for the community hospital. This would be really ridiculous to do it in a community hospital. Do cases like this that are... So she has to be transferred. ...that are so unique, does it ever... I don't know if there's even a process like this that would go where you might talk to a Cedars and a UCLA and, and they almost... They both want it. You know, like, is there any competition for a, a little unique bit. teaching hospital? I mean, hospital? it's funny you're asking that. There was a little bit of, it did come to that a little bit. Not that it was what you're saying, but initially when I reached out to one hospital, I got not pushback, but I, it seemed like there was some, maybe a slight, it, it, it was weird. It was like, because uh, because I was trying to, you know, making these communications even as a doctor, I mean, you can. I mean, I was a patient. It's very difficult yeah. to reach a doctor, right? So, doctor to doctor is a little easier to, you know, to um, get those direct lines, right? Um, you know, I guess it would be it would be like sort of a, akin to being like the mayor or the uh, of L.A. or the governor of the state and trying to reach the president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you can't just call the president's cell phone and get through to him either because you could have that number, but he may not be picking it up. He might be occupied in an important meeting. And so then you would talk to someone else to tell him to get you in touch with him. And it's the same thing. So I'm reaching out to like the chairman of a department. He's maybe in an operating room or maybe he's in a in a meeting and he's not picking up and I'm calling his office and or his assistant. She's trying to get him for me. Then I might call somebody else in the department there. And I and that's what I did. In fact, I called multiple people in one department at one hospital that I knew and they were working on seeing who could accept this transfer, get this patient there, etc. And while that was going on, I was getting a feeling that this was there was going to be some resistance for some reason, which I won't get into. And so I went ahead and called a couple of other institutions. And, and, and so, yes, they were like, okay, yeah, give us the paperwork and we'll take the patient. Okay. So then no sooner had I started to do that, the first hospital said, like, we'll take the patient. <laughs> hmm. I don't know how that Does change took place. Does the patient have a say? No, the patient's just waiting for something to happen. Uh, okay, but now what about insurance? Let's say one institution covered by... You're right. All that, Here's something to know. All dialysis patients, if you go on hemodialysis, you automatically get Medicare. No mm. matter the age. Correct. So all hospitals accept Medicare. Mm. But you're right. If she were not, if, if she had a different scenario, she didn't have, wasn't on dialysis and she was on some kind of HMO plan, it could be a bit of a tricky thing. And the hospital has what are called case managers, and that's their job. Their job is to find out which tertiary centers will accept this insurance. They might have to call the insurance company and say, listen, this is the situation, you know, and the insurance company eventually will have to pay. And by the way, is this an urgent situation for it the is. patient? Okay. It's urgent. Okay, so that's why you're making the phone calls. I mean, it's, I was just it's wondering. It's not emergent, which makes it tricky. It's not emergent because she's fine as long as she gets her two units a day. 
Otherwise, she's super comfortable. Right. If she were like at death's door, even with the two units a day, and it was imminently going to die, she was going to imminently die if they didn't, then it would be a different classification. Hmm. I was just thinking that. Which makes it frustrating because the the hospital that we're going to transfer her to is full. So we're waiting for their beds to open up so we can get her over there. Are you kidding me? No. It's very frustrating. But but then why wouldn't you go to the other place? (sighs) I, I, I. I think that's a good question, except to say that, um, no, it's a good question. It's going to be, we're going to have to think about switching. Right, because yeah, I, 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 true. I, assuming, right, I'm, I'm just, you're right. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, right. They lose their e- right to, e- either they the, are looking, they're, they're looking centers, to get her accepted. At either of these place, centers, so. you know, are, yeah, are it's very all about qualified. the patient. You have to do what's best for the patient. What's best for the patient, and it's not best right. for the patient right. to wait. right. Right? The only reason the first place is 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 the number one choice is because I'll just tell you it's that that's that's where that famous surgeon did her operation years ago. So they have all the reports and the oh. records of what she had done. Oh, interesting. So but, that would be. But helpful. can't you really tell once you go and you take a look? Because it, you can, because but if it's that a, was thirty-five. You can, years but they'll ago, tell you things if you read the reports. Sometimes they'll say like. They'll say, oh, she had an anomalous vessel in this okay, location. I have a question. That you wouldn't necessarily be okay. able to see. I have or, a question. You know, it would, it would okay. surprise okay. you. All right. You said 30 years ago, say 35 years ago. Yeah. Whatever, whatever was. So it's paper records. Correct. Have yeah. they been digitized? Yes, they have. They're all digitized. So At the major universities, they are. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. They've got them all in there. Okay, so I can deduce. And I know this because when I called one of the surgeons and told him the patient and her birth date and all of her personal information, he was, while I was talking to him, he was able to pull it up. Okay, so let me ask, in 50 years from now, will they still keep the records on that patient even though the patient has passed? Um, <laughs> if they have time machine and they uh, backed it up, yeah. No, but I'm just, I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand Yeah, this. well, look, how do we know what the future is? But for yeah. for medical records, I think it's going to get better and better. No, 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 but that's the point. Right well, now, what's, what's the rules, record retention yeah. policy when the patient Legally, passes? they have certain definitions of how long you're supposed to keep records, and I forget what that is. But they're supposed to keep records yeah. for a certain number of years after death. Yeah. So you're telling me. All I, doctors. I just, I just want to be clear. All so, doctors. So yeah. as, as a kid, I, I, I went to a specialist at UCLA. So in theory, my mm. records are digitized at UCLA. Yes. For sure. Yes. From the 70s. Yes. In theory, yes. Yeah. And not only that, but they'll be there after you're gone, after those doctors are gone, for a period of time. Yes. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. All right. That's it. We got through it in one episode. So just to recap, so she's going to... cliffhanger. Ha- so yeah, we'll have to find out what happens after she gets transferred. So the, in- the original infection was because of what? The uh, buildup the of fluid? The horseshoe kidney got infected. It probably got infected from what's called an ascending infection, meaning probably... You know, bacteria in her vagina made its way into the bladder. And if we remember previous episodes, I've always told you the number one way to prevent infection of the bladder is to be able to evacuate the bladder. To pee. Which she cannot do because she doesn't make urine. So the bacteria gets in her bladder, and eventually the bacteria got up into her kidney and it infected it. So you dealt with that, and then the very next... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. How long was it before she had that bloody discharge? It was like a... Two or two days, something like that. So she wasn't in the hospital anymore. She was. She was getting IV antibiotics and getting resolved of her infection. So that was, I'm just getting to it. So that was coincidental almost, the timing? I mean, they weren't related, the infection and the 
bleeding and the clot. I, I that's the tricky part. No, I think they were related. I think somehow placing that tube caused the bleeding. It didn't bleed enough right oh. away that we saw it. It took a couple of days for it to accumulate in that conduit and then start pushing its way out as clot. And then we saw what was going on after a couple of days. But I Got think it. when they put the tube in, something Well, that's what I said, like it was a puncture, yeah. but it, it yeah. wasn't. But it was it was a result somehow, potentially. I, absolutely. Yeah. Are you dealing with family members explaining all of this? Um, I'm... Yes and no. Yes. At the bedside, yes. I am telling she had a niece at the bedside, and she's very with it. She's totally with it. So I'm explaining it to her, and I talked to the niece about it. Yes. No husband? No. No. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, I you know, I really just feel for everything and this no woman's parents? gone through her whole life. Not currently that I've seen, no. Got it. Oh, well, I wish I wish her the best. This sounds yeah. just awful. Yeah, it's really scary, and I hope she gets, you know, taken care of in a timely manner, to be sure. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Well, thanks, Doc. All right. That's it. Well, okay, let us episode. know uh, when you find out. Now, is that will. Is that the kind of thing that you would have to... You would follow up. Yeah, if you didn't follow up, you would never know that they don't have well, any I know the people, reason to I come know back the to people, you. people uh, at UCLA, so I'll be able to. Right, but you're not involved them. in the case, so I mean, it was right. Just, I'm not going to be going over there and right. doing anything. Wait. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a good week. Very good. Take care. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.